Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to the second GPS Training Podcast for this month. It's our 35th episode. With the current lockdown in the UK, we are creating two podcasts a month rather than the usual one. So hopefully keep you all entertained in this month's podcast we again have ian and myself john both from gps training and we have two other guests as well but guests as well but more about that later welcome ian what have you been up to this month anything exciting um good question john <laughs> bit, bit more gardening garden looks even trimmer than what it was uh, two weeks ago um and i ran a uh, webinar for base camp for max a couple of nights ago which was very good very well attended um and just looking after i don't know whatever you do on lockdown really <laughs> sure it's quite funny I, I had a customer this weekend who said uh, said i think we're all doing the same here ian's doing his garden on the podcast is that's what i've been doing for the last month as well so a lot of people can relate to what you're doing washing your car and doing your gardening and things so uh, uh-huh. I was saying to someone yesterday, the trouble is, I think, that you, you wash your car and normally within two, three weeks, it's like looking a little ropey again. So you go back and rewash your car. But I washed my car, I don't know how many weeks ago, and <laughs> it's just sat on the drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, dirty. not dirty. So you can think, I can't wash the car again, so I'll, I'll power wash the flags or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually did, I did that a couple of weeks ago, actually. So. <laughs> Forgot, I forgot that was one exciting day. Oh, dear. So, okay, so without further ado, let's get on with today's podcast. In this month's month podcast, we have an interview with Lindley Chambers from Challenge Running. He's also a safety coordinator for the Spine Race, both the summer and winter events. We also have an interview with Carol Payne. You may know this lady, Ian, do you? Yes, yes, my wife. <laughs> That's right, it's Ian's wife. And we're going to be talking about her experience with the Garmin Phoenix watch, especially the Couch to 5K initiative that has um, been put in place to try and get people, encourage people to get up to running 5K. And then we have Ian's FAQs, the frequently asked questions Ian has answered while supporting our customers and some on some of the GPS training courses over the last month. <laughs> The next thing on this month's GPS Training Podcast, a chat with Lindley Chambers. So, Lindley, welcome to the GPS Training Podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for uh, having me on here. Whereabouts are you, Lindley? I think you're, you're in lockdown as well as the rest of the world. Whereabouts in the country are you? Um, we're based down in Suffolk at the moment. We mostly live in our caravan and move around working on outdoor events and that. So, we happen to be in Suffolk at the start of the lockdown and it's a nice little campsite. So, we've, we've, we've stayed there. Easy to get out on the trails and do runs each day without bothering anyone so it's it's quite a nice place to be fantastic brilliant i first met lindley through a facebook page that i'm a, a member of which is outdoor gear uk when i was researching and trying to get some experience in an article that was writing uh, for one of our websites and frankly lindley went well beyond anything i was expecting anybody and he spent a fair bit of time with his expertise um and and after speaking with him and um, liaising with him a bit by email, I thought, what better person to have on the GPS training podcast? I know, Lindley, this is an impossible question because I know you've got your um, you've got so many parts of, of, of expertise. But what are the key things that you do? Probably the primary thing for the business or for my business is um, organising running events. That's where we started. 
And I've always been an ultra runner and been running ultra races for, I think my first one was 2002 or three. Um, and so I set up some events before I retired from the fire service five or six years ago. Um, and that's probably the main part of the business, but that's expanded over the years to include being a mountain leader and working as safety consultant on a couple of events. And that includes, we now provide medical services for um, events. So we'll provide first aiders and medics for events. Um, and that's just sort of evolved into a whole smorgasbord of Duke of Edinburgh international expeditions that I do personally with people and, and stuff like that. So just, just all the outdoor stuff, all the stuff I couldn't do when I worked in an office for the fire service. One of the things that really attracted us because we're big fans of the spine race on the uh, GPS training podcast is that you the safety coordinator for both the spine races, both the summer and winter events, aren't you? Yes. I'm one of the safety coordinators. I won't claim to be the safety coordinator. There's four, main safety coordinators each one manages a team and has specific roles and then there's a senior safety coordinator um who manages us essentially um but yeah i'm one of them and one of my roles that i've developed over the last few years is to manage all the kit list requirements in conjunction with the race directors and write as comprehensive guidance notes and manage the kit checks and penalties during the race which mm -hmm. is We'll come, yeah, we'll come to the spine race a little bit later on. Our listeners will know uh, we interviewed Paul Freeman, which I know uh, you and you know reads me well for, on our 31st podcast after you completed the Montaigne Spine um, MRT Challenge Race. If you've not listened to that episode, you've got to listen to episode 31. Did you get a chance to listen to it, Lindley, or not? Um, I didn't, actually. I um, <laughs> sort of time slipped away from me from when I got the link the other day. Um, but, yeah, I, I spent... Many hours with Paul and Carl in the pub the night before the race, having a chat about stuff. So <laughs> that sounds like Paul actually be on that podcast. Yeah, yeah we uh, we we plan all our things for the podcast either outside the co-op in the Naranik in our local village. It's, it's the local village microbrewery. So yeah. yeah, and if you do get a chance to listen to it, it's a cracking interview because it was post um, post his, his event and it, it was the first. 20 minutes was more discussing the, the fundamentals of the event to how the, the how it all went together but he really opened up for the, i say the second half hour of his personal experience his personal um trauma really as he as he went through it so if you do get a chance to it lindley it's a really good listen that one of paul on episode number 31 yeah brilliant when I, yeah, i'll try and catch up yeah i first contacted you because i was personally trying to understand when it's acceptable to use an app on a mobile phone rather than a standalone GPS unit, if it ever was. And you came back with a great explanation of your personal thoughts of which are the categories of walking when you think it's acceptable to use a mobile phone app compared to a GPS unit. And again, I actually copied and pasted this into the finished article because I thought it really summed up. First of all, you categorized three types of walking, didn't you? You said local routes, familiar areas, you then jumped onto longer routes and then high-risk routes, into, in, including multi-day activities. So, Linda, so what I'm really wanting is if if we've got an option of a mobile phone with an app on, or alternatively a standalone GPS unit, and also a watch, and we've got a the other key thing which we'll come into is like multi multi units as well, um, um, so, you, so you don't put all your eggs in one basket. What are your personal thoughts about what we should be taking with us to navigate with when we're on, on let's start off with our local routes and familiar areas at low risk and shorter distances? Um, if it's a familiar area, there's low risk, there's plenty of places like houses nearby you can go and phone for help or 
give a call to then and it's a short duration you know i'd say less than a couple of hours out um like for example where i am in suffolk i went out the other day for a three-hour run and i just had my um my gps watch mm -hmm. the route i decided to take was on it mm -hmm. um and i glanced at it now and again for reference to make sure i was going the right way should the worst have happened and i've been out in the middle of the fields it'll give me a grid reference um and I had my phone in my pocket to call for emergencies if, if I needed it, but it, it wasn't really my primary source for navigation, although it might provide assistance. Um, but yeah, the watch is perfectly fine. Um, and in the same respect, walking on your, with, on your phone with ViewRanger or OS Maps on your phone, if you don't have a GPS watch that works with a route on it, would be, in my opinion, a reasonable solution in that thing where it's a quick reference there's not a lot of difficult navigation and it's just checking that you're on the right footpath that joins up two roads or something i think that's perfectly reasonable rather than spending for an additional device that may cost you a lot of money and you probably don't know how to work without some training and some and some help to get it sorted so better the thing that you know even if it's google maps mm -hmm. it's still going to give you a better indication on how to get back to a road yeah the key thing i think with google maps is you do need to be online for that don't you where i think some of the apps if you're going to use an app you need to use one that you can take offline um even locally and i, I totally agree with what you say there because actually you know especially during our lockdown now my my walking's kind of gone to you know two or three hours um going out in the evening or on a, a weekend and i just use my watch and i've got my mobile phone on i don't tend to take my handheld unit because because I kind of know where I'm going. And as you rightly say, I've got my mobile phone in an emergency. Um, and I'm not really going off-grid um, as such, are we? No, no that, that's the case, yeah. It's just the phone is just an emergency tool for a call and navigation is just reinforcing or checking a route or keeping yourself, you know, maybe finding a new footpath or something. It's not critical to your, uh -huh. to your safety. And the weather's probably not going to be horrendous. Yeah. Or it's easy to turn back if it is. Yeah. That's right. Next was the next category of walking is longer routes, all unfamiliar areas with medium risk. Now, your longer route and my longer route, and our listeners' longer route might be three completely different things. As you kind of uh, take part and organise a lot of ultra events, you know, with the greatest respect, our, 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 our walkers know a good day's walking is 15 miles, isn't it, really? So, um, or, yeah. or, um, uh, and again, you know, some of your events you do, uh, you know, you were just saying before we came, was it 200 mile event, 180 mile events, or things like this that you take part in? Yeah, one of my events is Britain's longest event, which is 615 miles. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's fairly long stuff. So, I how think. many days have we got to do that over then, Lindley? That's a 14 day cutoff. Right, okay. Um, so, 43 miles a day required oh with, with rucksacks and kit and stuff like that. That's, That's on an ancient footpath dating back to 1650s but yeah right well that's a fair bit of going every day isn't it what dropout rate to get on that um we only allow a maximum of 10 entries and because the logistics are an absolute car crash um and it took three years before anyone finished okay <laughs> and we've had three finishes one year and five finishes the next right and we have postponed this year's one because it was supposed to happen in may okay and hasn't but yeah it's it's a race called the monarchs way ultra and it runs on the longest inland footpath in the uk which is the monarchs way it's the escape route of charles ii in 1651 when he ran away from cromwell after the battle of worcester it's his wiggly escape route where he tried to flee to france Fantastic. So I, thought, I thought it would make quite an interesting uh long distance challenge route sort of thing 
Okay, so yeah, our 15 miles is quite insignificant compared to that. So when we're looking, when we're thinking of walking longer routes, unfamiliar areas, um, what would you take with you then? Um, we're on all, all the circumstances. We should really be taking an ordnance survey map. We should, we should really categorise that really for an ordnance survey map, especially now we're getting into slightly longer routes as well. Paper map, just in case. Yeah, the gold standard is you know is a phrase people use a lot, but t taking a paper map that even if you maybe don't know how to use as well yourself, you can easily show to someone mm -hmm. and maybe they'll have a better idea. Um, or you can at least tell emergency services what map sheet you're on or what grid square you're in or something like that. Um, yeah, th that's the gold standard. But um, there's also the caveat with that, that if you really don't know how to use it, you may as well bring a roll of toilet paper because mm -hmm. it's not going to be much use to you. Whereas if you know your way around your phone really well, actually an app like OS Maps where you can have that OS map on it, mm -hmm. um, it will will work quite well. I think pretty much every OS map that's came out in the last five years has a code to load it onto your phone as well on the inside of the cover on the key. So that's quite helpful. But obviously phones break, you drop them in the puddle, you're mm -hmm. taking this your selfie on the edge of a cliff and it goes off the edge. Um, that stuff happens. And a paper map is a really good backup if you've got the skill to use it. Mm -hmm. And then other than that, you know, I'm, like I'm sure I think it's on the list to discuss later, having a dedicated GPS that's specific for that is a good idea as well. But a phone can be a good intermediary sort of mm -hmm. tool. But if you're going on the longer routes or unfamiliar areas, I would rather put in at least one method of redundancy. So a paper map and something electronic or at least two electronic items. The chance of you taking out both of those in one situation is pretty slim. And that was a key thing when I, I learned when, when we were corresponding. It's actually, it's that, you, know, that you call that redundancy, that over planning eg i've got my gps and if my gps fails i've got my phone i've got my gps my gps or my phone fails i've got my ordnance survey map having those multiple devices actually if two of those things fails i've got my ordnance survey map and actually that ordnance survey map is so light to carry it's it's yeah. just in your rucksack you might not want to get it out but actually if something goes majorly wrong you've got that there and that, that was a key thing is actually thinking of those multiple devices and not having everything in one device i've got my phone with my navigational on there and i've got nothing else well actually if that phone goes flat or you drop it or you, you drop it off a cliff when you're doing your selfies you just said um you've got to you've got nothing else and that's when you get yourself into trouble isn't it yeah and that's um i'm sure you know stuff that you're involved with with guys up there with northumberland um mountain rescue and stuff like that they'll be the ones that people tell you they walked up with their iphone they didn't realize the battery was going to die in four hours in the cold and wet mm -hmm. um and then they'll be suddenly they haven't taken any reference points or navigated up there they've followed a line on on their iphone um and the problem with that is they then don't have any backup source or skill set to get themselves down and no one remembered whether it was left or right at that last can or or whatever um so you know there's a lot to be said for having some backup system mm -hmm. um understanding your kit as well understand how long is your battery going to last? A good phone these days, like something like a Sam, top-end Samsung, you'll get maybe eight hours out of it with GPS on on a regular basis. If you're looking at an iPhone, they're notoriously poor on battery life. Um, the new Xs are better, but your standard sort of iPhone 7 and 8, you're looking at four hours with GPS on mm -hmm. in cold, wet conditions. The, the chances of you getting a, a walk even up something like Scarfell and down again within six hours is slim. So mm -hmm. is it going to be sufficient? Do you know your kit? It lasts all day in the living room, but does it last all day out in the cold and wet? And can you recharge it if necessary? Yeah. And the other thing as well, can you use your touchscreen when it's pouring down with rain? You know, or, yeah, we can put in an aqua pack, these kind of things. But things like put it in an aqua pack or a waterproof bag. When we go back to our interview with Paul um, for the spine race, he put his 
waterproof phone in a plastic bag and it got full of water and it, it was knackered, you know what I mean? And you actually end up getting replaced. So actually, you no. Know, being overprepared, of course, he had his GPS unit. He had other things. He got the tracking again for the spine race. But it's that multiple things that he thought his 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 phone was bulletproof. Well, it wasn't bulletproof, was it? So it's just again thinking outside the box because what you think will happen sometimes doesn't. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, phones are like the Samsung ones. I've got a really good Samsung. My partner's got a really good Samsung Nine. Um, they are waterproof. The big letdown in wet conditions is that they won't charge when the port's wet. So okay, unless you yeah. bring out a charging pad, the port has a short circuit system in it so that it can't short circuit when it's damp. But that means it won't charge. It mm -hmm. won't charge from a power brick when you're out. So you're going to bring a pad with you to charge? No, mm -hmm. it'll still wireless charge, but it, that just isn't going to work. Whereas I've gone lower tech with a really heavy duty industrial phone from China. Yeah. But the battery lasts for four days mm -hmm. and it will charge when wet no matter what and you can you know beat it to bits and drop it off stuff it's mm -hmm. not as snazzy as my samson but it's bulletproof out outdoors mm -hmm. um is the, is your tool right for the job like you said touch screens are a big thing most phones you for every function apart from maybe the camera you need to be able to use a touch screen and handheld gps systems have different sensitivities for the touch screens and therefore they work better yeah. when they're you know when they're wet i have a very old oregon 450 which is a pretty old bit of kit these days it's been glued back together multiple times and had the button replaced in the outside and loads of times but the touchscreen works reasonably well it's got it, i've dropped it and bounced it off everything and it works fine mm -hmm. i actually like the shape of it better than the new 600s and 700s because it's not flush with the screen mm -hmm. so you can actually skid it across the dirt and it it survives better than a flush screen and it's but actually it got a screen you can use with your gloves on as well because it's the old yeah. resistive one, same as what we've got on the Montana uh, currently on the market. It's the old resistive one where the, where the Oregon then went to the Gorilla Glass after that, which you can't use with yeah. your gloves on. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. good old proven unit. So, when we look at long routes, you're saying you still use your watch as your primary source, use your phone, occasionally check an overview, and you would take your Oregon 450 in your case, um, and, and you'd take it with a set of batteries, and also you said a backup set of batteries as well for your GPS units as well. That's key, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, gen generally, you know, for the whatever it is, 60, 70 grams to take two extra, you know, double or triple A's, double A's in those case, um, to, to pop in it. They're just, they're just taped together and they sit in a, my rucksack that I'll use for most things. There's a kidney pouch on the left and the GPS compass and um, batteries will just sit in there and they might never come out. They'll sit there for months, but they're there if something goes wrong and you can pull it out and you can get yourself out of trouble. Um, with the skill set, if you have a skill set that can that can use those tools, that's right. Do you know what? You're, I can tell you're an ultra event guy because you start talking about grams of things, weight of things. Yeah. <laughs> Us walkers, we just pie our pork pies and things. There, we don't care about yeah. the weight. You, know? but you guys get obsessed about how heavy things become. Oh, yeah, some of the stuff, and it's really good working on the spine and seeing the kit. But some of the stuff that people showed up with, and you know, things that you know aircraft grade titanium stove that you know weighs 62 grams and it's really important it might have cost 300 quid but it's it's important to be that little bit lighter than something that's only 50 quid off mm -hmm. of ebay five five minutes down the road mm -hmm. and then the next category is so we've looked at local walks that you know where you're going just a couple of hours we've looked at long routes and unfamiliar areas which you're then saying take your gps watch with you you've got your, your phone and also your actual handheld gps unit and then Long or high risk routes, into, in, including your multi day um, stuff. So, what would you take on that then? Um, so, I would definitely have a map and compass on, on stuff like that because 
the chance of you having power on long multi-days or um, being in high-risk areas, even if it's just the fact that you twist an ankle and you're going to wait three or four hours for um, rescue and recovery and your phone is going to be critical to that, I would definitely take a map and compass. I'd also take my phone, as I've said, um, but my phone wouldn't be used as a primary, maybe not even as a secondary source at that point because it's also a very, very useful tool for getting me out of trouble with calling emergency services um, and communication or whatever. Um, and I would still have my GPS watch because you can get a reference off that really quickly. I'd probably use that as my primary source for following a route and then using the other things to back up. But I'd also have my handheld because the advantage of a handheld above a watch is that you can see a screen with a map on it. So you can use, you know, you know, map furniture, things like buildings, river. You can see them on the map rather than mm -hmm. following a line. It's much easier to navigate rather than follow a route. And I think that's a quite a useful term is navigating a route is very different than following a route. Yes. And understanding that a GPS in a mountain area, somewhere bumpy and hilly with lots of granite, say, for example, you're going to be lucky if it's accurate to within 15, 20 meters. Mm -hmm. So you can be off a path and not be able to see the path, but the GPS is telling you you're on it and being able to navigate yourself and realize, well, the path's probably 20 meters away mm -hmm. around, around the side of this rock. So having that, you know, is, is useful. And then me, just because I do a lot of outdoor stuff, I have something called a spot tracker and that's a GPS based, not um, network based um, tracker. So that pings up to a satellite and back down to a center. And I can press a button on that if I really need help, or I can send some predetermined messages and stuff like that. You know, there's lots of those around that have come down in price rapidly. So spots, one of the biggest known ones, but you know, Garmin obviously bought out InReach a few years ago and they are running their InReach devices, which are a reasonable bits of kit as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about, I think it was about three or four podcasts we talked about that two-way satellite communication spots, InReach minis, and then the 66Is that are there now. So I think that's going to come more into the fore. Um, but I know, like we're like, you know, the spots, very reasonably priced, very reasonable contracts on them as well, if you are going off-grid, especially on your own as well. A lot of our listeners are, are, are solo walkers. Um, and, and, yeah, so, again, they've not got somebody else there just in case something else goes wrong. No, the spot tracker could potentially save their life, couldn't they? Yeah, I think that's the thing. If you're going out on your own, think you've got to think, who's going to call help? How yeah. are they going to call help? It's that phrase, um, what if? It's all right saying, well, I know this route. I've walked it a hundred times. I've never slipped over. I've never fallen. I know my way up this crag. I know my way up this scramble. But what if? Mm -hmm. What if you fall? We see loads of stories in the paper about someone that's went up Snowden, Scarfell, Ben Nevis, and they get lost or they twist an ankle and now they're dressed in their underpants and a T-shirt because they were doing it for charity and they're, and they're in trouble because they never thought about what if. Yeah. I, I get laughed at. I've gone up mountains sometimes with a, I always carry like a 30 litre rack, rucksack with a load of warm kit and spare bobble out and spare gloves and bits and pieces in and people go but it's summer why have you got that thing on your back what's the point carrying that extra 10 kilos every time you go walking in the mountains and it's like well because what if what yeah. if I twist something I've got a warm jacket to put on I've got a bivy bag to put on or a sole or something like that it's yeah it doesn't bode well, especially with being involved in races like the spine and being a mountain leader. It's not it's not gonna be pretty if I get end up on gruff with a mountain leader being rescued off yeah. the hill with it. It's not it's not gonna go well. Well that was it. We had mountain rescue on, I think about two or three podcasts ago. That was a key thing they said. I say they go to as many people with hypothermia 
in summer than they do in winter because people are not prepared and actually to put that down jacket that is lightweight in the bottom of your rucksack and actually to think that when i stop i'm going to get cold i'm going to sit on it or get yourself off the ground and that was the key things actually people go off in summer with i've got my shorts on i've got my t-shirts on everything's good but until something goes wrong and then suddenly temperature drops it now turns into dusk even nighttime you know, we've got fantastic weather at the moment, but it's just been above freezing at night time, isn't it? And if you're out there in your T-shirts and shorts, you're going to get cold very quickly, aren't you? Well, very much so. I think that the stats, the studies show that just a 10% a ten degree difference between night and day and you run the risk of body core temperature dropping to, you know, hypothermic levels. Just 10 degrees difference between night and day. And that's why hot deserts, cold nights, it, it really, people really suffer people plan with the best will in the world you always plan for the best case scenario i'm yeah. going to be running or walking at a good speed i'll only need this kit i'm never going to need all that spare stuff but then something bad happens and that's where the horror stories come from it just turns into a car crash and we've all read the really cool books you know 127 hours all that type of stuff where people go out minimal stuff don't have a route no one knows where they're going and yeah stuff will bite you in the bum i'm not saying don't go out we love people going out mountain rescue love people going out and enjoying the hills but it would be much nicer if people just thought well what if i do just slip on that rock and hurt my ankle maybe a first aid course would be a good idea maybe learning to nav would be a good idea mm -hmm. maybe you know having a locator beacon maybe just you know making sure that i know how to text 999 yeah. you know stuff like that is is really important mm -hmm. i think the other key thing the correspondence that i learned from yourself is this crossover of safety roles which is like which we briefly touched on it, but it's not having all your eggs in one basket. So just tell us a little bit more about that. You know, it's like you've talked about your primary navigation, your secondary navigation, your primary communications, and that is a key thing. Actually, not having because I'll be honest with you, it's kind of I like I've got my sixty-six I GPS map six. I've got me my, my two-way satellite community, got me navigation in 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 all in one device. But actually, that is putting all my eggs in one basket. Yeah, I've still got my mobile phone. I suppose that's my secondary. But actually, it's that key thing, isn't it? Those multiple devices and paper and other things as well is the key thing, really, that, you, that I got from you when, when we're in discussion. It is, and a lot of that's just from years of doing stuff outdoors, but also from events, trying to think of it from a risk assessment thing, like such as the spine event and my own events, and thinking, well, what if that participant um, loses that piece of kit? What are they going to do? You know, if somebody's using a phone, and we one question we get a lot on the spine is people saying, well, I've got this new Land Rover phone with the extendable battery and clip in the back, and it's a really good device, and it's not a bad bit of kit. It's got the extra antenna. It works as good as a handheld. But I'll say to somebody, yes, but we, we ban them because it's because the simple fact is that you're, like you say, eggs in one basket. If you've got a phone and you're receiving text messages from loved ones saying, how are you? you know, ah, oh, how you getting on and this, that and the other, and you're sending stuff backwards and forwards, great morale boosting conversation. But if that phone's also running its GPS chip all the time and using its power, guess what? The time you need to make that emergency call, it's less likely you're going to have a good battery. It's less likely it's gonna function as your backup GPS if your main one goes down, if it's being used all the time. So we always try and partition or separate. Um, and it, you know, that's my philosophy, partition and separate it. You have a handheld compass and a map if on that event in particular, but a lot of the time you'll take that, like you say, they weigh 100 grams between them and stuff from the bottom of your rucksack, never to be seen again, mm -hmm. but they're there. Um, but then, you know, you'll have your watch, but you could fall and bash that against the rock. 
Mm-hmm. Easily just slip on a crag and smash the screen on that, or the battery goes down, or whatever it happens. Devices crash sometimes. Um, and then you've got your phone, and you think, well, I've got my phone as a backup. But that's your emergency call. Do you want to remove the ability to have an emergency call um, by a battery going flat and lose all of your capability for calling help? Um, and that's why I, you know, say take a handheld because it's designed it's tougher it's got a better screen it'll work as we discussed better in the wet it might work with gloves on depending on what screen it's got on it and um, but even if it doesn't you can poke it with something or use silver fingers on gloves and stuff like that and mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a way for, it can be used it's more likely to take a kick in some of them will float um most of them particularly the older ones will take a couple of batteries so it's easy to replace the batteries i know the newer ones are running rechargeables um lithium ions inside but if you if you suddenly say all of this like you say eggs in one basket my phone is everything it's my compass it's my um map and it's my call for help well if you lose that you've lost your compass map and call for help so if you can separate that you, you can hopefully add some resilience to coin a sort of popular phrase at the moment yeah, and your resilience, as you rightly say, could just be a map and compass in the bottom of your rucksack. No, that 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 I wasn't going to take everything on my GPS unit. It's simple. No, your resilience is going to cost you seven pound ninety nine. It's 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 so cheap, but actually, it's going to last you to the end of time. And one day, you might just need. Do you know what? That's happened. I need that. Your resilience could just be another set of batteries. So it's all the time, isn't it? No, my resilience for my phone could be a power pack to keep it or an aqua pack or something like that it's just thinking as you rightly say what could go wrong and actually is the solution to 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 stop that from happening a nominal cost which it usually is another set of batteries is two quid and and put them in your rucksack as you say put a bit of tape around so we don't lose them we're not scrambling around for them put them in a, a waterproof bag and you're sorted aren't you really yeah, it's the old you know if you go to like business type risk assessment things it's the likelihood versus the consequence the likelihood of me of my batteries going flat is probably reasonably high if I haven't checked them before I went and everything. Um, so the, the consequence of that could be quite high, get severely lost and hurt. So fixing it is, like you say, a really cheap, easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the likelihood of your GPS unit breaking is very, very slim. They're pretty reliable, sturdy things. But the consequence, again, is quite high. So why not bring a spare battery or just like you say, a map and compass at the bottom of your rucksack. Mm -hmm. Or you have your phone and it's not your navigation device, but it's there as a backup. Now you've got a good backup device, which the phone can use with ViewRanger, OS Maps, whatever. But if you are only starting with the phone, you don't have anything below it unless you take a paper map. So you haven't got a second fallback position. Or like I said, on really long stuff, I like to have a double redundancy. I'll take... A lot of the time I'll go out without a map, but I'll have three electronic devices. Yeah. I'll have a watch, my phone, and my handheld. Yeah. The chance of me killing all of those is extremely unlikely. Yeah. For, for an extra few hundred grams, it really doesn't make a difference. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's a really good summary, really. And I, I say, when I started liaising, I thought, that's fantastic. I see those, those multiple devices, redundancies, and thinking that you are going for that two, two-hour walk locally. You don't need to take your GPS unit with you, but actually where we're going out in the hills, unknown things, let's plan our routes, let's think about our escape routes and these kind of things. So really nice summary of what kit we should be talking. Now, we've talked about the spine race a little bit. We're all fascinated about the spine race on the GPS training podcast, and, and it's a bit of a side point, but we have to rack your brains about it because we need to know behind the scenes. We've heard from a participant. We need to hear behind the scenes a little bit about it. If people don't know, the spine race is a 268-mile race that takes part takes place twice a year. So when we start off, you talked about is the four, four safety teams along the length. Is the, was it four teams in its entirety, is it? 
Yeah, sort of. So the race itself provides what it's called what it calls spine safety teams, SSTs, um, and those teams, depending on whether it's summer or winter, um, but usually if we just focus on the winter as the more um, risky race, um, that will be somewhere between eight and twelve people in a team. Right. This year I had twelve or thirteen to start with, and then that reduced to seven or eight by the end of by the end of the week. Um, and those people will be from all walks of life. So some will be rescue based experience. Some of those people will just be very good hill people. They'll be very good trail runners. You know, I had a mixed bag in my team, which was SST4 this year. Um, and those people are responsible for carrying out some monitoring points as you go by, maybe give you a bit of extra water. If somebody's struggling or going off route, we can see on the trackers, we can get them to pop out and have a bit of a welfare check, make sure that it's just you being a bit of a spanner because you're tired mm -hmm. rather than you maybe being a little bit hypoglycemic and going off track because you're not thinking straight and and there to give you that sort of support and prod and assistance and you know some sometimes in the bad situations maybe remove you from the race because you're clearly not coping that well mm -hmm. or you're running a serious risk now within those four safety teams we also have mountain rescue they turn up um they provide some of the more static monitoring points um they you know things like the white horse and the pub and stuff like that and they'll sit in places and they'll watch people go by they'll be really good at helping them out giving them food and drink um and they're brilliant at helping us you know they want people in the hills they want people in the mountains they'll pop along and they'll give up their time um and you know they have a mountain rescue challenge so they provide teams um, mm -hmm. to to compete in the event as well which they get they get given um and it's 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 great so there's not just the four safety teams it's those other teams that are involved as well mountain rescue and so on um but also cave rescue get involved and there's tons of organizations get involved but then you've also got things like people sort of the unsung heroes the checkpoint teams you've got something like a hundred people working on the checkpoints over the period of the race um i don't know the exact numbers and they're coordinated by a guy called kevin um and they they just manage all the food and the logistics and stuff and you know they've got logistics teams that manage bags mm. there's so much going on that people and even the racers don't see what's happening and um, so it's a big coordinated effort the safety teams are great because we get to run out and help people we get to run up the hill we get to you know stand out in the rain and make sure they're all right but we get we we feel like we've we've interacted with a with a racer and maybe made a difference sometimes and do you know your safety team um do you cover the whole length of the of the event or just sections of it would you just hop onto the next section or how does that work generally what happens is you'll work the safety teams in pairs so for the four safety teams in winter you're working 12 hour shifts so in this case team 2 and team 4 my team and um, someone called Caroline, her team, we worked as a pair. So we would be on the, in this case, it was the um, uh, midday to midnight shift. Right. So we would be on shift from midday to midnight. So my team would have a briefing from me about 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd deploy to our locations and then we'd be managing for, it for that period of time. And then the other team would shift and take over from midnight back through to midday. Mm -hmm. um, and what happens generally this year um, and in most years, Caroline's team took the first half of the race, yeah. so roughly divided the area. My team took the second half of the race with the tail runners, um, and we managed that section of the route. So we try and deploy people to watch people at what can be the most appropriate, depending on where the field is and what the weather and conditions and how remote locations are, um, and then keep a few people in reserve to, go, to deploy should we need to go pick people up. So. It's it's something that's been practiced over the you know years of doing it, and it 
it seems to work reasonably well. Um, because we are the GPS training podcast on the winter event, a handheld GPS unit is a compulsory piece of kit, isn't it, for that event? On the winter event, yeah, absolutely, we have to have a handheld piece. Um, and we issue some quite comprehensive notes as to why it must be handheld and not a watch. There's mm-hmm. so much crossover with abilities of devices. You know, I particularly wear a Sunto 9, no, very similar to a, you know, Phoenix 5 or 6. Um, and they're brilliant things, but you might have to take a glove off to see the screen. Yeah. You might not get it on the outside of a jacket particularly well. The cold will affect the very tiny battery quite a lot. You can't change the battery or charge it as easily and so on. So we insist on a handheld device that will work with gloves and cold hands and has a bigger screen and an actual map on the screen and things like that. We, we insist that you can at least, the minimum requirement is that you can get a grid reference, you can hold it in your hand and you can see a screen that at the very least has a traceable route that you can follow on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you give them a GPX, is there a GPX file for the route? Do they, they load that on beforehand? Is that given by the organizers, is it? Yeah, the organizers issue a GPX file, so there'll be one as a whole route, mm-hmm. which I believe is something in the region of 123,000 points. Right, okay. Obviously, a lot of devices won't take. Some will, some won't. Some mm-hmm. will thin it automatically, depending on what system you use to load it. Um, but, um, yeah, and then they provide each section as its own GPX file. Right. And then, generally, I've done it for some other people before. I actually have on my laptop a reduced less than 500 points version and less than 1000 points version because some older devices and watches won't mm-hmm. take more than 500 or a thousand waypoints so mm-hmm. i have reduced versions available as well right um and i still usually sit at the start with my laptop and fix a few people's <laughs> gps's that don't that don't do it but yeah we insist we, we, we give them the gpx file it's pretty accurate it's as accurate as you're going to get for that type of route um it's all designed to help them make good decisions and not get lost. Mm-hmm. And you were and saying, on the, saying the telephone that you, you stand at the start and drag the Japanese to one side and set theirs up to British National Grid because it's something they've never, they don't really understand how it should be set up for this country. It's difficult. <laughs> In the notes that they get for the race, it is explained that it needs to be set on Ordnance Survey mm-hmm. as a data and British National Grid. But not a lot of people get that or they miss that. They're yeah. focusing on the sexy bits of the instructions about what trousers can I wear rather than, you know, what's the lightest sleeping bag I can buy. <laughs> the Japanese are very good at that. It's the lightest thing I've ever seen um, that fits the requirements. But then they turn up with a GPS unit. Ones that are in English, Spanish, French, most of the words are alphabetized and you can find the way. But Japanese, the dedicated Japanese <laughs> GPS, things like the 64S, even the buttons are in Japanese mm-hmm. and it takes a little bit of deciphering to work out how to switch it. Usually I get them to switch it to English. Yeah. And then I get <laughs> you can then set it off then set it back to Japanese for them. And then switch it back. But sometimes there's a language barrier in, <laughs> in getting that done. But we've, we've learned over the years a few words and we can get some basic stuff done. And the Japanese love an endurance event. They, it's in their psyche. They very much love endurance stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get we get people turn up with all sorts of devices, very old devices, very new devices. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them just take them out of the box and go, well, it's brilliant. I read a review <laughs> on a site, maybe like, maybe like your site, and this is the thing to have, and it's got all these functions. Uh-huh. But they don't do the important thing is they don't spend two weeks walking around their area holding the thing and seeing how it looks when they walk and... And yeah. making sure it's set up to be an appropriate thing. It's just practice, practice, practice. It's going to become second nature. Practice with anything, isn't it? It's practice with your smartphone, practice with your GPS watch, practice with your handheld GPS unit. It's just so it's second nature. So actually, when you need it, it's just second nature of how you're going to use it. I know straight away how to find that grid reference because actually, if, if they're in an emergency situation, 
I don't, I don't think, well, how do I do that? Because you need to just, I can do it straight away, don't you? That's, that's the key thing, isn't it? It's very much the key thing. One of the things I try and get into people at the start of the event is so they'll come on and say part of the test to see if you have some competence with it when you turn up is you must turn the device on in front of us. You must get the grid reference of the building that the start registration area is. And we recommend you do it in the queue outside and then you show us it. Um, and you must show us that you can load the route mm. onto, the, onto, the, onto the device. Most of the time people will have it there as show on map anyway. Um, but the big thing, then we'll say to them, can you show us the grid reference? And then that's where people get a blank face and they go, oh, it's in here. And then, they, you know, on something like a 64, they'll do three or four button presses to get to the GPS screen mm -hmm. because it has it on the top of that screen. Um, or they'll flick through to the compass screen because it's as one of the datum fields can be on the compass screen. Mm -hmm. um, but what actually the best thing I say to people is, would you like me if they haven't done it? To put it so that it's just a field on the top of the main screen mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the simplest thing in the world i said now you don't have to press any buttons when you're tired your brain is a big pile of fudge mm -hmm. and you're really going oh how do i work this you know what it's written across the top of the screen all the time mm -hmm. and that's the simplest thing to do but we get lots of arguments no no so i can find it no problem or um look i i don't like it there it takes up too much of the map page mm -hmm. and and stuff like that and the reality is they're rarely navigating yeah, and we get we get loads of people say no 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 I can navigate with a map and compass you know the usual phrase classic phrases I was in the army I can navigate and <laughs> stuff like that I'm ex-military and I can tell you there are as many soldiers that can navigate really well as there are soldiers that can navigate really badly yeah um, it's the same as every other walk of life if you want to learn something you'll learn it and you won't you won't there's no automatic I did something therefore I'm good yeah and, and skill fade like any skill we get people hasn't done it for 20 years and suddenly we think they're going to be really good mm -hmm. that's brilliant so to finish off i want to know one thing you've learned from working on the spine race that you have, from the safety team of the spine race that you think i don't know we could all learn from um, our listeners could on the gps training podcast what's one thing that you've learned you've seen people that you think you could pass on to us that we can go we can take away from you and go do you know what he's a top bloke that guy he's giving some good info what is that one thing lindley I think it really is. We sort of touched on it a couple of times. Um, people learning to use their kit. The people that we see are most successful are the people that put the time in, not just the physical training. They put the time in with the mental training. They learn how their piece of equipment works. They understand it. They understand how it's packed. They'll, they're the ones that are on Facebook with a packing picture that has everything laid out on the sofa. And they'll do that 20 times before the event. Yeah. And people will laugh at them. Oh, I just chucked my stuff in the night before. But like John Kelly, the guy who won, he his kit was packed to within an inch of its life. It was like the rucksack was built around the kit. But he wanted to carry a certain rucksack, keep it down to a certain weight, and he found everything that fitted that criteria. Right to the point of the, his chocolate bars he'd beaten up with a hammer in a Ziploc bag right. so that they fitted into the shape around his waist in the in the waist belt. Yeah. Um, so that it wasn't a chunky bar sticking out that might rub in. He'd literally beaten it to death. And his Hershey bars, because he's an American, were smashed up and they fitted into a Ziploc bag and fitted around it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, to summarize, really, it is spend the time learning your kit that will save you so much time. And it, it, every tool can be great, but it's no good if you don't know how to use it. Um, like we said earlier, a map is as useless as toilet paper if, if you can't use a map. A GPS unit is all that £600 you spent on it is pointless if you actually don't know how it works 
Mm -hmm. um, the same with your phone, which is what obviously this discussion is about. If you don't know how to work something, you're going to be in as much trouble as if it's broken, really. Now, as the country's in lockdown, what better time to get to grips with whatever you've got? You know, and that's a key thing, isn't it? You know, is if you want to get to grips with your GPS unit and plan a route and go for a walk, now actually that, that walk could just be around the block of where you live. You know, you can sit down for your computer, plan your route and go for that walk. The walk doesn't need to be a 15-mile walk. It could just be a one-mile walk around where you are. You can come back, analyse what you've done right, analyse what you've done wrong and get to grips with it. Go out tomorrow and keep working at that. Same if you've got a mobile phone. Just keep working so it becomes second nature. And that's the key thing, isn't it? So actually when something goes wrong, you know where that is in your rucksack. As you were saying, you know, like the, the guy packs his rucksack. So actually when he's exhausted, as he was, you know, the, the, when the spine race stopped with, what, three miles to go at the hut and had a sleep because he was so exhausted. Yeah. He knew that he stopped there. In my rucksack, that's where this thing is. I'm not rummaging my rucksack, having to take everything out, wasting time because I'm exhausted. He knew where that piece of kit was, his sleeping bag was, etc., etc. And that's the key thing: the practice, 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 and pack things in the same place so you know where your spare batteries are every time when you need them. So when you do need them, I know they're there, as you were saying in your hip or wherever you. I know where my spare batteries are. I know where my mobile phone is. I know it's waterproof. I know it's going to be working because it was charged up last night. The key thing is. Just preparation, isn't it, and practice? Yeah, you can, you know, I advise clients that I work with with GPS stuff, and I'll say, you've got this, you've got this brand new fancy device. Um, you know what, the next time you do a dog walk, plot it on yeah. Garmin Connect or Basecamp or whatever you're using, draw it on there, and then follow it. Mm -hmm. Follow it for walking the dog. Yes, you don't need it for walking the dog, but follow it, religiously follow it. See how well the screen orientates itself when you stop. See how well... It looks and then you'll learn the nuances and you won't panic if it jumps 10 feet off because you've walked past the building and the GPS signals compromised. You won't start to go, oh my God, it's you, you build up a trust and confidence in the equipment and that it will actually do what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it. Yeah, that's brilliant. So fantastic. I think we should, we've covered a lot of subjects there, which is absolutely fantastic. So many thanks for joining me, Lindy, on the GPS training podcast. If people want to find out more about what you do, where can they go to to find out more about what you do and get in touch with you directly? Um, so I have a website for the running side of the business, which is challenge-running.co.uk. But there's also a walk-in version, which is challenge-walking, and a first aid version, which is challenge-first aid, all one word. Um, and they can find those pretty easy on Google searches and stuff. The running one will come up fairly high. The other one's not as much. But, yeah, so if they need walking advice or, um, you know, need some training near where I am or whatever, then I'm, you know, quite happy to help out and, and, and get involved with stuff. But, yeah, it's, it's quite easy to find stuff. And, yeah, I'm quite happy usually to answer pretty much any question that comes my way. I'm usually quite good at waffling about stuff. I've learned a lot of kit just by working on events for the years, and it's interesting to see all the different shiny bits that people will bring, and I learn quite a lot from yeah, it. That's brilliant. So thank you, Lynn, for joining us on the GPS Train Podcast. And, uh, yeah, it's been a fantastic chat, and thanks very much for joining us. The next thing on this month's GPS Training Podcast is a look at the beginner's experience of using a Garmin Phoenix GPS watch. And for that, for that, we have a special guest, which is Carol Payne. Carol, welcome to the GPS Training Podcast. 
Hi, John. Thanks for that welcome. Right, that's surname may be familiar to our regular listeners of GPS training because you're going to announce who you are. This is terrible. You are Carol Payne in your own right, really, are you? But you are married to a special person in the lives of GPS training customers, aren't you? I'm married to Ian. (laughs) So, so yes, Ian has brought me into the GPS training fold on on a number of occasions. Um, But, yes, it's it's nice to be part of the podcast because I hear it. Well, I obviously hear it, but I hear a lot about it as well. So, uh, so see how it works. Oh, very good, yes. So uh, yeah, so we thought Carol's, Carol's got a Phoenix GPS watch, and and she's with a great respect. Carol, you're a punter, aren't you? You're not you're not a, a nerd like Ian and I are about GPS units. <laughs> so really, the first question we need to know is: Did Ian buy the watch for you, or did you have to buy it for yourself? Because that's the most important question, isn't it? <laughs> buy it for me and it wasn't even it wasn't even like a birthday present I'm impressed with that you know know, I think I think huge brownie points there because um I'd sort of been umming and ahhing about "Mm, nice to have but "Mm, it's quite an investment Mm, do I you know do I really need it so um so yeah um Ian actually bought it for me so that was really a lovely a lovely gift a lovely non-birthday gift so they made that set an example to all the listeners of the GPS training podcast that what they should be doing in the current lockdown period is buying their wives a nice Phoenix GPS watch and then they'll have a happy customer like I'm uh, sat opposite now won't they so happy wives opposite so first of all then what what are you using the, the watch for are you are you wearing it every day as an everyday watch or are you just using it for exercise or just give us an outline of how you're using the watch when i first got it I, I wanted to use it for exercise so i had previously used the um bbc phone app couch to 5k and i thought oh it's be much better to have this on my watch so i don't have to take my phone out jogging um i'm not a particularly fit person um so it was just more palaver having to have something in my pocket or or attached to me in some way so that was why i got it but i have found recently in lockdown um i am wearing it every day because i'm partly using it to monitor am i getting enough exercise because when i walk when i go into work i'm used to having at least a half hour walk um during the course of the day and and having had that stripped from my activity um i'm now sort of checking the number of times i go up the stairs you know am i doing a reasonable number of steps it's probably a bit inane but um it just it just reassures me that i've not sort of sat literally all day doing nothing and when but, you're going uh, to work carol do you wear it in work as well or not do you wear it all i do sometimes wear it to work i would i probably only if i'm going into work in the office i probably only wear it a couple of days a week um and i sort of wear a standard watch on other days but um yes at the the weekends i will wear it um and as i say particularly for exercising so so you measuring your key stats now you you you, as you just mentioned then the the floors you're climbing and the steps so those are key things that you're potentially using it for certainly i am yes You know, I do a little check. It's, oh, I didn't do many steps today. Um, but it, it it's good just to, to keep you a little bit focused on um, being active uh, from that perspective. Yeah. And, and then you just mentioned briefly the couch to 5K. I think Ian mentioned a past podcast that you actually download an app from the Connect Store for that onto the watch. Is that right? That's right. Yes. So, um, so I have to say I did leave Ian to do that particular piece of um, technical wizardry. Um, I have subsequently learned how to put music on the watch myself, so I can do that independently. But um, I have also learned how to how to 
tinker with the couch to 5k because for those who are familiar with it you sort of have a set number of runs over nine weeks um three runs a week and and they they give you a sort of graduated um program to get you up to a certain level of fitness but I have to say, having had a break from using it, I sort of wanted to go back a bit. I didn't want to carry on at week seven or whatever it was and run 25 minutes. I wanted to go back to a, an earlier stage and, and do some of the phased running. So I have worked out now how to do that. It's slightly more complicated, but but it's a really good opportunity to be able to have to use the, the programme flexibly. And when you're recording that, you're actually recording the activity, aren't you? Press the start button, get yeah. a satellite signal and recording it as an activity. That's right. So at the end of it, you've got a little map of where you've been. Um, you've got your key stats, you know. I've got a record this week for doing my longest run and my fastest mile. So uh, it all helps to sort of encourage you, get you on your way. I think the most frightening bit is when you see your highest heart rate, doesn't it? It's just, it yeah, peaks, on, it peaks on the map of where you're <laughs> highest heart rate is you're gonna go okay <laughs> i might be about to die in yeah. fact but <laughs> so you you've done this so you, you, you see you're doing the couch to 5k again now then so you've gone back a little bit yes. and you, you're building yeah. yourself back up to it aren't yeah. you are you enjoying that i am enjoying it actually it's a good I, I think we've been particularly blessed with the weather so it's quite nice time to be out um and and obviously the streets are quite quiet so um you don't necessarily come come across many people whilst you're doing it but it's it's just a sort of chill out time put on some relaxing music um and and let your th- thoughts run wild it's, and you've mentioned music a few times so you've downloaded music onto your watch and then you've got some wireless headphones i, I suspect have you yeah, to listen that's to right. it on. yeah so yeah. do you still take your phone with you at all or not or are no, you just no, no i just just go with my headphones and my watch fantastic okay. that's brilliant and then, then also when you're walking because again you're, you're going to be walking as well as uh you're running are you using it to navigate there is Ian downloading routes on or, or, or courses yes that we are downloading route? routes onto it um so i'm probably not yet as expert I'm, I'm not as good at starting making sure i get off on the right foot and i think it's going back to some of those original techniques of of um of of preparing properly so you know how you're going to start off the the route but i do like having the watch and being able to to sort of um follow the waypoint so i it's not just Ian who knows where we're going, particularly as he's usually at least 10 metres ahead of me. Um, and sometimes he disappears completely. <laughs> so it is good to have my own sort of tool to fall back on. Um, and and I do quite like having the track at the end of it all as well. So that yeah. um, I know. It's really good how you get sent that track at the end, isn't it? You can over, say it overlays it on the map. You can see where you are, see your heart rate is. It gives you all yeah. those stats, yeah. doesn't it, at the end? It always quite frightens me what it says, but the recovery time is often a lot longer than you thought yeah, it would no. be. <laughs> Really? I, I can sit back for two days and do nothing now. So, <laughs> so yes, no exercise now needed for two days after I've done that six-mile walk or something like that. So, did you find the watch quite intuitive when you started off, or, or yeah, or, or did you just struggle to get yourself around, or was it? I say, um, I think I think it is quite intuitive to use, um, and I, I, but I think it also bears sort of wearing reasonably frequently when you first get it just so that you do get into the habit of using it um and and you work out what the buttons are for um and and in a way you build that confidence to to keep on uh on using it and i have to say if i haven't worn it for a little while and i'm doing something specific i sort of look at it and think how do i do that yeah i think 
perhaps using the map page and that kind of thing, reminding yourself how you can zoom into the map um, if you want to look at it in a particular way. Um, it was that kind of thing. I hadn't done um, much map work for a, a few months and I was sort of thinking, oh, I must be able to make this, this view different so that I can actually see where I'm going because at the moment I've got a big empty space in the middle of the screen. So um, it's just sort of reminding yourself how to navigate some of those, those more um, fine-grained details. Because uh, I think that's it. Because I think you're right. Because when you wear it every day, you kind of you do those main pages all the time. Know your heart rate yeah. and your steps, and you're very, very familiar with those. But mm. actually, as you say, when you're going out doing an activity and you're recording an activity, you might have not done it for a couple of weeks or three exactly. weeks, and yeah. then you kind of go, oh, "How do I do that? How do I navigate?" Even when I'm in that navigational mode, how do I get back to my main stats to see how many steps exactly. I've done? Those kind of things you kind of yeah. sometimes do just forget about and you need to. Mm. But to be honest, it's quite intuitive because actually, if you do press the wrong button and you say, Are you sure you want to stop this recording? You go, yes. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. I've just forgotten what I should be doing. I think that's really helpful as well because sometimes when you're, so when I've been out uh, running, um, you know, something's happened with the music and you sort of think, oh, Now, if I come out of this, am I going to stop the running? program because I don't want to lose my my sort of track of my where I'm at with that um just to adjust the music but but actually it is quite straightforward to to be managing both things at the same time that's not it's not difficult so uh, brilliant and if I can do it other people can do it and are you using it with a, as a smartwatch when you get on your wrist um especially now you're at home and a couple of days where you get it paired with your smartphone have you, you get your notifications yes, on there yes so I'm constantly getting some little jiggles little on the vibrations on the wrist don't do yes. this now which, which actually, from the tasks perspective, is quite helpful because I'd got quite quite adept at ignoring tasks that would come up on my phone to set, telling me get to go and do things. But now, you know, you get that immediate response of, oh, oh gosh, I am being told to go and do something. Perhaps I better do it. Um, but I, I do find that quite helpful. And I, just that quick access to texts and things yeah, like that. I like how, because it's also, because it's paired with your phone. If your phone's ringing, you've not got your phone with you, you kind of know it's ringing. So I know yes. the other day I had my phone on mute because I was recording something for the podcast and then I was in one of the other offices and my, my wrist starts vibrating my mobile's ringing so I can run to the other office where I would have missed that completely because yes, you're actually yeah, connected to yeah. if you're left your phone downstairs at home and you're upstairs or something because you're still paired with it you, exactly. if it's ringing you yeah. can kind of say oh it's my mother I better go answer <laughs> yes it. you better go <laughs> or it's just and sister oh well I'll be all right I don't need to I just pretend I was upstairs and ignore them so I think that's quite nice to be to be paired yeah. with there and yeah, as you say yeah. it just vibrates on your wrist doesn't it when you get that yes, notification yeah. and you can switch those off in the settings so if you don't want to be bothered by your exactly. your little twitter or whatever you can switch off the less the less important yeah. ones can't yeah. you <laughs> so then what's your final thoughts and so if you i don't know what's if you've you've had it for two years year and a half just two, over a year just, just over, over a year, year yeah mm -hmm. april last year so what are your yeah. thoughts on on the what 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 do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Um, yeah. What, yeah. There are a number of really sort of um, deep and meaningful things that I like about it. So I do, I do like the range of things that I'm able to do with it. I do like being able to sort of pair it with the, the, the um, headphones, being able to do those specific activities. Mm -hmm. But I do like some sort of funky girly things as well. The fact that I can change the watch strap and have a different watch strap on this watch so I can sort of change it up for different kinds of clothes. That, you know, that mm -hmm. is quite appealing. The fact that you can change the watch face when you get bored at Christmas. We had Christmas watch faces on, you know, it's silly stuff. Oh, do you know what? Like, this, like this is like living fun. back in our office when the girls start changing their watch face on their Phoenix watches. It's like they come into work and oh, have you seen the Christmas now? <laughs> Christmas, have you seen the Christmas watch? I'm going, really? Should we just go on with some work at this moment in time? <laughs> well, 
it's really important, John. It is really important. And particularly in this lockdown moment, being able to explore different watch faces is a really important thing. So it is that it is. To be honest, they're just like waterproof computers, aren't they? On your wrist, so so you can make them as bespoke as you want. And by default, there's a lot of watch faces, but then you can download some more via the app on your mobile phone, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so it's it's been a, certainly a very good an excellent gift uh, for Mr Payne. Fantastic, brilliant. So thank you very much, uh, Carol, for joining me on this month's GPS training right. podcast. Thank you for letting me come on board. It's been very interesting. <laughs> we'll let you come on again sometime. Don't worry. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> to find out more about the Garmin Phoenix GPS watch, please go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk. Click on GPS Store on the menu bar, and on the right at the bottom on the left hand side, you'll see Garmin GPS watch. The next thing on this month's GPS podcast is Ian's FAQs. The questions he had been asked were both delivering our courses or in his support role that we offer at no extra cost to people who bought a GPS unit from GPS training. So Ian, um, your first FAQ is a Garmin FAQ, isn't it? It says, it is. I can't search for addresses when I press the find button or use where to on my GPS. So I'd only explain yeah. what this is, Ian, and then a little bit of what we should be doing. So this is, um, yeah, where to or find. Uh, there is an option of addresses, isn't there, in there? Yes. Yeah, so, so the GPSs have a database. It's a bit like um, using a car sat-nav at one level. I mean, the database isn't as good as a car sat-nav, but it still um, will, um, whatever's been preloaded by Garmin, um, it does have a, you know, the database is sort of, okay really um and it would get the data off the ordnance survey map card does it yeah see, this is this is where the why i've put this question in this month because a lady contacted me about a week and a half ago about this and i remember you know when, when i was thinking well i'm sure you must be able to find an address um search for an address on um on the gps and then i remember it came up all oh, months and months ago from another gentleman I searched back through um, to find out his query and and <laughs> found the answer for myself because um, it's something I just couldn't remember I thought I know that there's something really funny about it because this lady has a eTrex 32x and um, that's got the topo mapping on it topo Europe mm-hmm. um, mapping um, which is a totally different product to our topo map cards just to clarify that that bit and she was querying why you couldn't search for an address in the UK um, in the normal way. So there's a little icon when you go the use the find or where to. There's a little icon that says addresses. And when you go into the addresses, it says adjust, I think, state or province, which mm-hmm. sort of says the American. Um, and then um, the best you can come up with a country, there are five countries that it comes up with which is Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg, Poland, and the Netherlands. Right, okay. And so this lady's quite very serious, sensible question was, well, why can't I search for an address in the UK if all I have got in my GPS, the Topo Active Europe mapping? Because I think that to many customers would say, if I've got that mapping, then I must be able to search for an address. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a reasonable um, thing. Um, But... Actually, as it transpires, you can't, you, if you've just got that kind of mapping in your GPS, you do need a map card in order to search for an address in the UK. 
you need an audience survey map card. Yeah. Uh, so either the one to 50,000 or the combined one to 25, one to 50,000 uh, map cards to actually be able to search for an address. It's a bit um, like Ian, isn't it? It's, it's a bit like on Garmin Basecamp. You know, you need to you need to select the mapping before you use the search box on it because it draws that data yeah. off it. Because I know sometimes, yeah. especially the one twenty five thousand map card on on Garmin Basecamp, if you select the wrong section of mapping and search, it's not gonna, it doesn't find it. You need to select like Northern England in our case, and then yeah. look for somewhere yeah. in the Lake District and you'll find Absolutely. it. Where if you yeah. if you select Northern England and search for Brighton, it's not going to find it, is it? So. It's, no, uh, it's, no, uh, it's, no. it's drawing and, that data off the map card as, as such, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that for anyone who's just got the, the topo active map. Europe mapping, mm -hmm. that is sort of like quite understandably quite counterintuitive because you think that you've bought a product for for that will search anywhere. And so what I did was, was that um, with uh, one of the training GPSs, I, I tried this without a map card and it does, so we've got very good friends who live uh, south of Frankfurt in Germany. And it will, so one of these, so Germany being one of these random, it seems five countries. Mm -hmm. So I did have the map card out with the topoactive Europe mapping in and it does find their address right. where they live in Germany. Um, so it does definitely, you know, it does definitely work. But, you know, you, you think, well, because it's a Garmin product also for the UK, why can't UK customers, you know, because not everyone wants to buy mm -hmm. um, the uh, a map card yeah. because, you, you know, and, 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 and that is um, the thing. And even bird's eye mapping, it won't even work on bird's eye mapping. You, you need one of these, one of the topo map cards yeah. to search for an address in the UK. Right. Um, the top active mapping, uh, as you know, if that's all you've got, will search for towns and cities. Okay. So you can still use that function, but it won't search for a specific address. Right. Okay. Anywhere in the UK. So um, yeah, it's a bit of an unusual one, really. So really, so what you're saying is topo active mapping, which is what we're finding on 66 STs and 750Ts and eTrex 22X and 32X, 22 and uh, touch 22, 25s and 35Ts. If you've just got that mapping, you can't search for addresses, but we can search for cities on there, can't we? But if we've got an ordinary yes. survey map card, yes. we can yeah. search for specific addresses, can't we? addresses in the uk in the that's uk it. yes yes fantastic yeah. so it's just a, seems a bit of um you know right the, the, the wrong way around i think in some ways but as i say it, it it is one of those things that came up again literally the last week and i thought i know there's i know other people have asked me in the past so let's get it out there for for, for people not yeah. to be sitting there because understandably the our customer she was thinking i'm saying to me have i done something wrong and no you haven't you know mm -hmm. it's um mm -hmm. you know it just doesn't work um so yeah excellent and i've got some notes of how you do that so i'll pop those in the in the notes on, on, on underneath the uh, podcast of exactly how you can search for each of those specifically so just be aware that if you have got just the uh, topo active mapping that you can just uh, search for cities and not particular addresses Next thing is the SAP map um, FAQ. So, do you know what? It's, it's interesting, yeah. this one, because we've had this one quite a bit, actually, and I've seen this quite a bit. My battery's discharging yeah. quickly or yeah. not charging. I've connected by, you've been contacted by a few customers over the last few weeks with the battery charging, discharging problems. And, yeah, so hopefully you've found a solution to this, have you, Ian? Or? Um, it seems that by people, and with the greatest respect to people, it's sometimes people who have had their active 20s for a bit of time 
um, haven't kept the software up to date. And I know we've talked about there are two different sorts of software for um, updates for the Active 20s. Um, there's the platform update, which is the main engine of the GPS. That hasn't changed for a very, very long time now, like almost coming up to about two two years. But it's the it's the GPS software um, that cures all these little um, bugs that SatMap find or give you a few more bells and whistles on the GPS. It seems to be that people have a very out of date GPS software version, mm-hmm. and by updating that, I think you know it's not only doing all the bits that SatMap say that it this software update will do, but it just restarts the GPS, gets it all into you know it's it's <laughs> it's running brain back into better gear, knows what it wants to do. Um, we've always we always recommend because it generally works brilliantly first time to update to the latest beta version, yeah. which we know isn't the official version, but the beta versions are generally very good anyway. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, generally a software update um, cures, but I say I have had quite a few people, um, customers contact me, um, you know, repeatedly contact me over this issue with their active 20s. Um, and I think the other thing is sometimes is that we're used to probably charging sort of like small AA batteries uh, for, for only a very short time and they're charged. Um, these SatMap, uh, the Active 20 batteries are, are big lithium batteries and they, mm. you know, just leave it, put it, plug it in overnight, leave it. Um, it, it really does, you know, if, because again, that may be all that it needs, just a really good charge. They are actually, if you take, if, I shouldn't advise this, but if you actually take them to pieces of SatMap battery, it's actually a laptop battery inside. It's a little laptop battery inside. I know when I've had SatMap here and uh, I had someone once with a 41, they actually take this thing apart in front of you and uh, they can see exactly when the battery was made. Um, right. So I think I go back, I say that because actually you plug your laptop in and, and you wouldn't expect to charge in one hour, would you? <laughs> you know, you would leave no. it for a period of well, time. Absolutely. So yeah. again, yeah. you're powering a SIM and that's the great thing about these SatMaps. They've got fantastic battery power. Uh, yeah. to keep them going yeah. all day long isn't it so yeah. the, currently yeah. we've got a platform version 43 platform 43 and the gps software is beta version 3.13.066 what's the best way for people to update the software on the sat map scene um well as as we, i think we i know pretty sure we've discussed in the past i'd like to do it the i like to do it the old way um but it's the most reliable way um because so you can you can do the update over wi-fi um but I'm finding, especially at the moment, the Wi-Fi in our Wi-Fi in our house, especially, is sort of like it gets a bit stretched with more people using um, the internet around our area, and also my dear wife Carol working from home. Um, so yeah, so the internet's a bit. But so you can so you can do the update over over Wi-Fi. I personally uh, come up to our desktop, plug it in um, our desktop computers. Um, got a cable into our, our, our router and it just goes um, straight, uh, you, you know, so I do it the hardwired way. Um, it just it just seems more reliable. And you're using SatSync for that, aren't you? And we use SatSync for it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I think that is the, the better way of doing it, to be honest with, with, with you, John, for the updates. So um, we would recommend updating it, uh, update the beta version and just plug it into your computer and use SatSync to do it. If there is a problem with that beta version, which uh, very, very rarely, there's, there is the opportunity in, isn't there, to roll it back yeah. to an earlier version, yeah. isn't there? Absolutely, because, you know, and, and the thing is, um, 
it gives you the the previous software option versions that so if you know you've gone from one that was working uh to the beat, new beta version that isn't working for whatever reason um you can always send it back again to the version that you know that your gps works on right and it's that is really good it's i think it's a nice little feature that you've got so you always know that because i know it was about this time last year over a period of about a week uh there were some very dodgy beta versions being released mm -hmm. um that that killed all sorts of things for and it, it was halfway through one of my courses and then so we i contacted satmap and they were really really good uh they saw what the problem was and literally within like a day or so there's um they released a, a beta version that, that worked and cured the the version that killed all sorts of things um and uh yeah as i say and the other thing is that if you go to the people say and I, they also ask me well where where do i know what what do i know about these beta versions what do they do if you just go to the satmap website and go into the support option at the top mm -hmm. there's a very big drop down menu and it it gives you gps a gps software tab and you can just see what the software versions are and what they do Brilliant. Um, so, so, so hopefully if you update the software that should hopefully rectify should any problems yeah. if it doesn't seem is there anything else that we should be doing or well you can certainly try um doing a, a hard reset on the active 20 by just pressing the power button down for 20 seconds um to power it off um and then turning it back on for three seconds uh, and and then it could again break some form of power cycle i guess that that's that's all wrong within the the, the gps um so there is you know there always that option of just seeing if it but a hard hard reset wouldn't wouldn't take the settings out of the unit, would it? No, no it's just it, a physical it, switch off and switch back on again. Yeah, because it? it could be because I you know I I found from time to time Active Twenty like our customers, they think they've got a fully charged GPS, they sort of wake up and think, well, where's all that power gone? Yeah. You know, it could be that there's just something or that knowing that I've turned it off, and so I think, well, is, is it? So it could just re it just resets what it you know mm -hmm. the the power. Management it's a funny thing. It's a bit like computers. You no, know, in the office where I'm sat here now, is you now we we leave our computers on all the time, and they go to sleep at night, and we wake up in the morning. But actually, we have a policy where we restart our computers once a week to physically mm. switch them yeah. off and restart them because it just clears all that clutter out, doesn't it? Does, it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, in the past, we used to leave them on for literally six months at a time, and then yeah. something would just yeah. build up, build up. They were never yeah. switched off, and actually, just do a, a quick reboot once a week. Well, it's mm. not often a quick reboot. You just reboot the thing. It installs any updates. It clears out the cache and the thing suddenly. And, and you're saying it's a similar thing with the sat map, yeah, isn't it? Every I, so often, I, just do a quick absolutely. reboot, restart yeah. it. It's sort of like it's like unplugging your skybox when it crashes, which we all do on a regular <laughs> basis. <isn't laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I think you see it, that's very different to Garmin GPSs because apart from the Montana, um, you, you know. It, we're forever taking our AA batteries out yes. of a Garmin mm -hmm. GPS, whereas with the Active 20, well, with all the sat, with the, the 10, 12, or the 20 SatMap GPSs, the battery just sits there and charges. That, that doesn't it? You know, you're never physically disconnecting it. So, so it is. And and also another thing, um, John, which although it seems to have disappeared, this bit of advice from the SatMap website, but I did pick up on one of their FAQ lists a long, quite some time ago. It's you know that if you're not going to use the GPS for a long time, they do act. They there was this little um, bit of advice saying, well, just disconnect the 
battery mm -hmm. from the back of the GPS. So the battery is going to essentially remain charged again, because although you think it's switched off, the GPS can still, it seems, draw a bit of power out of the battery and over a period of time, will just make it go flat. So Yeah, what we do with our training units here, I don't know if you, we actually, and our training units, because we've got the, the proper case it sits in, we actually take the battery out and then there's a little bit of like a, there's like a sleeve on the outside, isn't there, of the case, yeah. and we actually put our yeah. battery in there. Yeah. So yeah. If, if it's in our training bag for, and it, well, all the time, so we'll, we'll use it, you know, for a customer we're tested and things like this but we always take the battery out put it on the outside when we're not using it and then um and then we know it when we pull it back in it's not going to be flat rather than leaving in there you know for yeah. for us it could be a week or 10 days before we use it and the customer says well how do we do this oh it's now so flat bring <laughs> <laughs> us back in two hours when we charge it this is not really yeah. acceptable is it so i know no. we take it out and put it on the outside it's it's actually still a all together so we're not going yeah. to lose it and yeah. that's the way we kind of manage it up here in, in uh, uh, headquarters yeah. and such so. yeah yeah so so that's what i say so that's what, what what i do as well just to take take it out because then you know it's just not going to be doing something all connected up to the gps so. how do you get the battery out being out of a satma back to oh. <laughs> <laughs> john i have my my own heath robinson way um a paperclip, it's called. Yeah, we have exactly the same. So <laughs> turn, it, turn it over onto the, its face, so screen side down on the desk. And when you pinch those two little buttons, you can just get a paperclip just to ease it out. Mm -hmm. And it's, it works It works a treat. You know, I think you must have passed that knowledge up here, because I know uh, in the office, yeah. that's the uh, the preferred way of getting an, an active 20 battery out is getting a paperclip just to wedge it in the back. It's just because it's got that bit of a rubber seal, hasn't it, to it's, make it waterproof. It I mean, it yeah, and and, and that's yeah. the reason. Yeah. And actually, if it's been in there for a while, it just make a seal. And actually, that, that's the reason why, because it has to be waterproof. Yeah. And it just yeah. needs a bit of leverage to get it out, doesn't it? And, so. it, and it protects your nails as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So that's a really nice. good SatMap yeah. Active 20 top tip, which is if your battery's not doing uh, performing as well as you feel it should be, uh, do a software update, both a platform update and a GPS software update. Um, do this via SatSync. We find it's the uh, the better option yeah. to do it yeah. for. Um, if you do uh, have problems, do what we like a. A, a reset the GPS, a hard reset by just holding the power button down for 20 seconds and then holding it back down for three seconds to charge it to get it back up again. And um, yeah, if you are leaving your GPS for any length of time, think about taking your battery out and that should resolve all those problems, Ian, shouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't forget, we have lots of top tips and solutions to all your questions in the GPS Training online resource. Just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk, click on online resource on the top menu bar, and then you can just log in. Select the unit you are looking for, and you'll see there's top tips for all the GPS units at the bottom. And finally, many thanks for listening about this to this month's GPS training podcast. If there's anything you would like us to cover in future podcasts, please do get in touch. Please do give us a call, especially if you're thinking about buying a new GPS unit. Please do take a look at both our physical GPS training courses and also our webinars. Please just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk and click on GPS training courses. Please do tell your friends about the GPS training podcast and encourage them to subscribe on whatever platform they listen to podcasts on. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Any help that you get in, in promoting our website is very much appreciated. And by rating it and reviewing it, it really helps on whichever platform um, that you are listening to uh, our podcast on. And also, please do leave us a snazzy review. That also helps.
Many thanks, Ian, for joining me on this month's GPS Training Podcast. And please do take full opportunity of the online training and webinars, because we're very busy with our webinars at the moment. They'll be held up um, in isolation. You know, we're doing really well with the webinars. Working really well. We're having a a week of webinars, a week off, a week of webinars, a week off. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so you've got podcasts one week, uh, webinars the next week. And we do them on consecutive (laughs) days. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Ian, for joining me. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation.